First off, before we begin, we have some news. Those of you who've been following us for a while, thank you. We appreciate each and every one of you. And to those who've recently joined, welcome, and thank you too. But you will have noticed that we are in the process of rebranding ourselves. We are still a podcast where two nerdy friends talk about history, but our previous name, Tarbis After Hours, made people think we were a Doctor Who podcast. We don't mind, we love Doctor Who, but we didn't want to disappoint anybody. So, we put it out to a vote. There were six options, which you whittled down to two. And we love them both so much that the one that won will have as our name, and the runner-up we will have as our slogan. So, without further ado, welcome to the new and improved A Nice Cup of History. Now, let's get historical. This week, we've gone for a topical episode. I can't wait. It's so interesting. Indeed. It's the 23rd of April, which can mean only one thing. Shakespeare! St George's Day! Well, in actual fact, it's both. But as much as I love Shakespeare, we'll be focusing on the other reason to celebrate today. And, in our ridiculous death, you'll find out why bridge planks and butts don't mix. So, let's settle down, grab our research, and cry God for Harry, England, and St George! Dude? Yeah? No, Shakespeare. Okay, last one, I promise. So, what do we know about St George already? Well, he's a patron saint of England, a saint of Catholic and Christian churches, and is best known for slaying a dragon. But did you know that England's number one saint may have actually hailed from Turkey? Then, what? Yeah. Okay, you need to explain. Um, Yeah. Well, as with a lot of historical saints, there are more myth than truth, and not much is really known about them. So just like we did with Valentine and Nicholas, we'll be going for the most populous stories about them. So, George came from the Cappadocia region of ancient Greece, that's now located in modern-day Turkey, and is a region from Mount Taurus to the Black Sea. Firstly, we're not entirely sure when he was born, even though we roughly know where. Uh, The common belief is that he was a Roman officer with Greek ancestry. His father was martyred, meaning that he died for his faith uh, when George was only about 14 years old, and his mother fled with young George back to his birthplace in modern-day Syria. Sadly, though, she died just a few years later, leaving George, now a grown man, to fend for himself. He decided that a military career would suit him just fine, so he travelled to Nicomedia, again in Turkey, and one of, if not the, most foremost capital city in the then Roman Empire. And it remained that way until Emperor Constantine settled instead on Constantinople. Uh, Here he enlisted in the Roman army, but it soon came to his attention the way in which Christians were being treated by Rome, namely the persecutions that were taking place under the then Roman Emperor Diocletian. He began to protest against it, and this wasn't received very well by his superiors. Um, Eventually, his protests got a bit too much when he reportedly tore up an order from an emperor. Yeah, right, he he had some cojones. Too much. Too much. (laughs) He did. Um, And he was imprisoned and tortured in an attempt to get him to renounce his faith. Okay. Um, They used every torture technique available um, on him, but his faith didn't waver. And true, he was true to God until the very end. George withstood it all until eventually his captors ran out of ideas and there was only one option left to them. Wow. That's that's tough. He he's a strong guy. He was a strong dude. Yeah. 
Um, so on the 23rd of April, 303 AD or CE, um, he was dragged through the streets. And that's um, Diospolios, now Lydda in Palestine. Yep, and uh, he was beheaded. Oh. Um, this was named as St. George's Day in 1222 in honour of his highest sacrifice. Now, legend has it that the wife of the then emperor was so impressed by George's steadfastness and the loyalty to his faith that she converted to Christianity. Ah. Which is quite a nice little bit of legacy, I guess. But also, did she not witness what happened to him for being Christian? Well, look at what happened to her. She was later executed for her faith. Yeah. Did she not think that, oh, this guy's a Christian and they've killed him for it? But Christianity seems fun. Yeah, Christianity, early Christianity was not fun. No. (laughs) As well as being the patron saint of England, he's also the patron saint of Aragon, Catalonia, Georgia, Lithuania, Palestine, Portugal, Germany, Greece, Moscow, Istanbul, formerly Constantinople, Genoa and Venice. I was going to say, you're going to take a breath in that until, Carrie? (laughs) Gets better. (laughs) As well as places... He's also the patron saint of soldiers, archers, cavalry and chivalry, field workers, farmers, riders and saddlers, and he's meant to help those with leprosy, plague and syphilis. Wow. busy guy. He is. He's a saint of many things. Yep. Um, But our narrative does seem to be missing a certain winged something. A little something-something. Where's the dragon? Well, that didn't actually come to the public attention until the medieval era. This is when the ideas of knights and chivalry really hit their peak, with the tellings of the tales of King Arthur and his knights, the code of chivalry and the crusades creating this notion of the Miles Christi, or Knight of Christ. Who better to embody this and act as a role model than the soldier who heroically died for his faith? Whilst a lot of sources differ on the details, one of the main ones is from William Caxton in 1483 as part of a book called The Golden Legend, which in turn was a translation of a work by French bishop Jacques de Vorigine. And this book is, and the invention of the printing press, opened the legend to mass consumerism until it basically became the go-to idea of St. George. In the legend, there was a town in Libya called Silini, and Silini had a not-so-secret secret. On the edge of the town was a huge stagnant pond, and making its home in this pond was a dragon. Now, in legend, not all dragons breathe fire. Some have blood and saliva of venom, like giant winged snakes. This was one of those, and its venom had poisoned the land around it whenever it left the pond to feed. The people of Silene were fearful uh, that their crops would fail and their families would die during the dragon's roamings, so they tried to placate it. As you would, you know, you can't, you can't kill it, no one's strong enough to, let's, let's try and calm it down and stop it from going off on a wonder. Yeah. To start with, they gave it two sheep a day, and this worked for a while, but the dragon grew and so did its hunger. So they switched it up to one sheep and one man. In order to choose who should accompany the sheep on its final journey, the king of Silene decreed that there should be a lottery and that all citizens must enter. And so this continued. Uh, The population of the town and her sheep herds were being diminished day by day until one day the lot drawn belonged to the king's daughter. Um, The king, obviously, tried to wiggle out of it, but his people wouldn't hear of it, understandably. Um, If they had to lose their loved ones to this beast, then so should he. Fair is fair. Definitely. Um, So he dressed her up in the finest dress, uh, gave her jewels and finery as though he was sending her off to be married. He kissed her, hugged her, blessed her, and then sent her on her way to a horrible death. Great parenting there. Yep. Yep. Uh, So there she stood, Probably tied to a stake, as that's how these things seem to be done, um, with only a sheep for company. And whilst 
thinking whether this would be quick and if she could try and bargain with the dragon, you know, King Kong style Yeah, like Fay Ray. Yeah. Then up came a no doubt handsome young man in his fine armour, carrying a lance and a single red cross on a white background being his only sigil. As any sane man would when coming across a woman and a no doubt disgruntled sheep uh, standing alone in, in the, at the edge of a lake, um, he asked her what was occurring. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? You would be like, so what's up? <laughs> um, she didn't really have anybody else to talk to, you know, sheep not being really renowned as stellar conversational partners. No. Uh, so she told um, him everything. Okay. Um, very sensibly, actually, for, you know, these sort of stories, she then urged him to take his horse and, you know, foxtrot Oscar the heck out of there before um, he became the amuse-bouche. Um, George, being the brave knight that he was, was having none of it. And as he cut her loose, he said to her, Fair daughter, doubt ye not no thing hereof, for I shall help thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Rough translation, chill girl, I got this. I, I would have preferred that. <laughs> chill girl, I got this. So whilst they were exchanging pleasantries, <laughs> like some sinister pantomime villain, the dragon started to rise out of the water in the background, slimy algae dripping from oh, black, brother. shiny scales, teeth like knives glinting as a wicked smile spread across its leathery lips when it spotted dinner and a snack. That's Oh, that, that sounds creepy, mate. Just painted a nice picture there for you. Yep. A metal man, a woman, a sheep and a horse. The village had outdone itself. And look, <laughs> one of them had even brought a lance for him to use as a toothpick. Wait, the metal man and horse were charging at it. What's going on? <gasps> With no doubt, rousing battle cry, George charged the dragon, sword and spear drawn. His balance must have been really good on that horse, by the way. So he wasn't holding on to the horse at all. He had a, a sword in one hand and a spear in the other. Yeah, and he was just holding on to it Dem with his legs. Thighs. Mate, his thighs. <laughs> He'd be thick. <laughs> so, and he struck the beast, sticking his spear in and using it to throw the dragon to the ground. Yelling to the princess, he told her to bring her girdle and tie it around the neck of the wounded dragon, tying her garter to it. Remember that, garter. She did as she was told, and instantly the dragon stilled, becoming nothing more essentially than a scaly puppy. I do have a question, though. If this dragon was really big, how big was her girdle? I mean, we, we didn't say the size of the princess. She could be a plus-size princess. That's cool. These yeah, bits happen. Yeah, but still, you'd need to be like a, a million times plus-size to get your girdle around the neck of a dragon. I mean, the fact that there's a dragon in the first place, it might be a magic girdle, <laughs> if we're honest. <laughs> yeah, that's the weird part of this yeah. whole thing. So, uh, back to the story. Yeah. Um, George and the princess then dragged the poor defeated dragon into Cellini, uh, reassuring the people um, that panicked at the sight of this beast... That it was okay. It wouldn't hurt them. Well, yeah, if it's been terrorising the village for ages and all of a sudden just strolling in, you'd be like, um, guys? <laughs> yeah, like, what? What? What is Where? happening? Where? And they'd just be like, nah, mate, it's fine. Yes, chill, guys, we got this. It's got it's, it's got my girt around its neck. Like, yeah. what else can it do? Um, when they reached the centre of the town, people started to gather, um, including the king, who was no doubt relieved to see his daughter, though I should imagine that she said that, uh, you know, she'd be dealing with him later well yeah it's like seriously you put my name in the lottery Did, what, what and, were you and, thinking? and you let me go to be you were going to literally have me eaten yes yeah, like whose idea was this lottery in the first place dad right um george mm-hmm. then turned to address the crowd and he told them what had happened um then he told them that he would he could leave now he could let the dragon loose and they could continue as they were before or they could convert to christianity 
be baptised there and then, and then he would slay the dragon. Um, as nothing promotes religious, uh, religious, as nothing <laughs> promotes religion quite like the impending threat of an angry wounded dragon being let loose inside the town walls, the people agreed to be baptised. The king was first among them. Fair enough, I suppose. Yep, and as George was true to his word, once they had all been baptised, he took his spear and drove it through the heart of the lion. Of the lion? The lion? <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears! Oh my! <laughs> Let's start that one again, shall we? Yep. <laughs> George was true to his word, and once they had all been baptised, he took his spear and drove it hard through the heart of the dragon, killing it. He then hired four ox carts, loaded the body up, took it out of town, and slung it on the fields so that it poison- its poisoned blood ruined all of the crops. Way. Now, we're not saying that George was a bit of a douchebag, but those were some pretty dick moves there. Like, first he threatens a town with either convert or you'll die. Yep. And then he ruins their food source through careless disposal of a venomous dragon corpse. Not cool, George. Not cool. No. The people were obviously okay with it, however, as not long after the king decreed a church be built and it was dedicated to Our Lady and St. George. So it's like, yay, you know, we're happy and we'll build you a church. Yay. Um, On the site where the dragon was killed sprang a spring of water with healing properties for all who drank it. So I suppose there's some some advantage there. I suppose. Um, and so our valiant, maybe, hero rode off into the sunset. Another job well done to rejoin the army, tear up an order and lose his head. There were legends that he then went on a bit of a dragon slaying spree and this was how he ended up in England in around the 12th century. So he must have been, you know, looking good for his age. Mm-hmm. Um, where he slew another of the poor misunderstood lizards on top of Dragon Hill in Uffington in Berkshire, where the dragon's blood touched the earth, no grass grows, even to this day. Oh. I mean, it probably has nothing to do whatsoever with the type of soil, probably. Totally dragon's blood. Totally. So, to the best of our ability, that there is the life and legend of St. George. King Edward III named him as patron saint of England in 1350 and formed the Order of the Garter in his name. Oh, Garter from the Girdle. Yep. As stated by um, Pope Gelasius, St. George is among the saints whose names are rightly referenced among us, but whose actions are known only to God. Basically, we don't have a flipping clue. No. We can only guess. So that's pretty much all we could find. Apologies. That's pretty (laughs) much all we could find when it came to St. George. Yeah basically that was that was it i mean there's a couple of legends of him slaying dragons here and there but that is that is the crux of it yeah and as with saint valentine there was several saints called george or with different sort of things but yeah this is the one that we we can say that is the patron saint of england yeah the general consensus george from turkey disobeyed the emperor beheaded sainted canonized is the term Oh, I did not know. Why? Put into canonical law, it's made canon that they are a holy person. Is that where the whole canon thing comes from in, like, TV shows? Yeah, if it's canon, then it's it's biblical, it's absolutely correct, it's 100% true, it's, like, basically the word of God. So there's a load of nerds out there that has took, like, this massive biblical honour and turned it into something that means, yeah, those two are going to be together forever, it's canon. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. fantastic. In, in the shell of a nut. Yeah, so yeah. we're now on to our ridiculous death. This one has intrigued me. Yes. Um, it's a guy called Humphrey de Boer. Okay. Um, he was the fourth Earl of Hereford. 
from mm-hmm. about 1276. All sounding good so far? Yep. Um, he was a member of a powerful Anglo-Norman family of the Welch, Welch? Welsh Marches and okay. was one of the ordainers who opposed Edward II. Okay. Okay. So um, he was obviously in charge of... He was the fourth earl, so he had quite a lot of power. He was quite respected in a way. And um, it, he, he... Not much is really known about his life because it wasn't that exciting. Okay. Um, he married Elizabeth of Rudland, Elizabeth Plantagenet, mm-hmm. who was daughter of King Edward I of England and his wife Eleanor of Castile. And they got married on the 14th of November in 1302. Okay. Um, they then had an unknown number of children, but probably 10. Well, yeah, you, you would have had to have had a few just to make sure that they survived, at least half of them survived past infancy. Yeah. And until the Earl's death, the boys of the family, and possibly the girls, were given a um, classical education under the tutelage of a certain Sicilian Greek master, Diogenes. The Diogenes? Mm-hmm. I don't... It can't have been the Diogenes. That's what it says. Not Mr. Running into uh, running into the Senate with a chicken saying, Behold a man, Diogenes. That's what it says. Okay, okay. okay. But we, 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 we can look into that, but it's what it says. That is yeah, what my research has told me. I mean, it might be a, another Diogenes, like, same name, but... Or a, a Greek... Um, a Greek Sicilian master. Yeah. With the same name. It's quite common. I mean, Plato wasn't even a name, it was a nickname. Imagine anyway, if we Diogenes digress. was like a real name. I might name my child Diogenes. Okay, back, back <laughs> to the death. Anyway, so he, there was a battle. Yeah. Um, the Battle of um, Blackburn. No. Mm-hmm. There was a battle. Okay. The Battle of Bannockburn. And um, he, that was one that he, he kind of won that one. And it was quite successful. Um and it was what there where he died. Right. He died at a place called Burrow Bridge. Okay. Um, rebel forces were halted at this point by loyalist troops at the wooden bridge at Burrow Bridge in Yorkshire, um, where Humphrey de Bowen was leading an attempt to storm this bridge. Okay. And this was on the 16th of March, 1322. Um, although the details of his death have been called into question... His death may have been particularly gory. And this okay. is an account from Ian Mortimer okay. of his death. The fourth Earl of Hereford led the fight on the bridge, but he and his men were caught in the arrow fire. Mm-hmm. This one of de Hartley's pikemen was concealed beneath the bridge. Oh. The Earl of Hereford was crossing said bridge. Oh. And he thrust upwards between the planks and skewered the earl through his anus, twisting the head of the iron pike into his intestines. Damn! His dying screams turned the advance into a panic. Well, yeah, they would. I mean, you know, you just, you're just harmly, harmlessly crossing a bridge in the middle of a, a siege, and then, boom, strapped the bum. Yep. Yowza. I mean, I'd like to think it would have been quick. Surprise, motherfudger. Yeah, but his... Yeah... So this earl, who was essentially the son-in-law to King Edward I. He popped it with a pike up the pooper. Pike up the pooper, yeah. Mm, absolutely amazing alliteration. You're very good. Mm. Ow. 
Yeah, it makes my butt <laughs> clench. I mean, it was it was bad enough until you turned around and said, and he twisted it. I was like, <sighs> and into his intestines, oh. right? Oh. Cool. Well, thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast. Yep. And from me, Emily, and baby Diogenes, <laughs> we shall speak with you next Tuesday. <laughs>